Yeah, you sound super sexy, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my wife says. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash javascriptjabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash javascriptjabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 203 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Dave Smith. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. A uh, quick shout-out about React Remote Conf coming up in about two months. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that's Rob Eisenberg. Hey. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? My name is Rob Eisenberg. I'm a uh, JavaScript client guy. <laughs> I'm the lead architect for Aurelia. I've also worked on uh, a number of other front-end frameworks, Durandal, Calibre Micro, Calvern, on a bunch of different platforms. So that is my passion. And I love working with developers and helping them to build front-ends. Cool. Do you want to tell us, uh, kind of give us the elevator pitch for Aurelia? Sure. Aurelia is a, a next-generation JavaScript framework for building you know, apps across uh, mobile, tablet, desktop, the browser, of course, anywhere where web technology reigns supreme. We're all about uh, simplicity, uh, conventions, really keeping your JavaScript code pure and clean. It really is very focused on standards compliance and uh, just uh, helping you to be real productive and enjoy the developer experience while you're building apps. Yeah, you said uh, it's a next generation app, and I was thinking... The web, the final frontier. That's These right. These are the voyages of the framework Aurelia. <laughs> Got to have a Star Trek reference. That's right. <laughs> so I feel like we kind of live in a in a world where there are only three frameworks for oh, most I was people. Say two. <laughs> and and right now that's Angular and React and Ember. Um, 
How do you, as as someone outside of the the large three that kind of dominate the market share, how do you sell people on Aurelia? Are you trying to take people from these other frameworks where you say like these are problems you encounter in other frameworks? Or are you aiming at people that are coming from maybe jQuery or from non JavaScript backgrounds? Well, like what's what's bit, the selling point for for people from these different backgrounds? Yeah, it's a little bit of everything to be honest. There are a lot of people that haven't really made the leap, so to speak, into building rich JavaScript front-end apps uh, yet. So something like Aurelia makes a lot of sense for them. It's really easy to learn. They don't have any preconceived notions, especially about how these things go together. It actually maps very nicely to a lot of native app development concepts. So they see a lot of things that are familiar to them. So that's one group of people. And again, one of the things that is kind of a selling point, I guess, across all groups is just the simplicity of development with it. I mean, you basically, you create a JavaScript class, you create a view, and that's your component. There's no configuration. There's no special APIs to call. Um, it's just a very simple way of putting things together. And of course, we all also try and address a number of issues that you know, other platforms suffer from. Uh, so we do talk about that. Uh, we have to be careful about that because people get upset. <laughs> Are you, you attacking yeah, people's yeah. babies? When yeah, you, yeah. When you, to the, you call yeah, the baby yeah. ugly, they get a little upset about that. But uh, the thing, yeah. the truth of the matter is that, you know, as time passes, we learn things. As a community, we learn things as individuals. We find ways to do things better. And uh, we need to pay attention to those. And, you know, Aurelia tries to kind of take some lessons from a lot of uh, things that have happened in the past and make evolutionary movements forward uh, in terms of fixing different kinds of things and improving different things. So we try and make developer and designer collaboration really easily by just staying close to web standards and having a, a strict separation between views and view models, which is part of our component design. You know, we try and have a very extensible, very modular system so that there's ways to plug in all over the place and customize things. You know, we try and follow a very declarative model. We try and stay out of your way as a framework so you don't have to learn a ton of APIs just to get things done. Uh, so, you know, that makes the framework just more uh, learnable and more easy to read, uh, easy to bring new people in. But I think there's a lot of evolutionary things that we're doing um, that appeal to people coming from you know, that have experience with Ember or Angular or React that look at it and they go, okay, wow, this this makes sense. That's really simple. And they can see how they can put these pieces together. Hopefully that answers your question. It, you know, there's so many different perspectives and people with different backgrounds out there. But I think that there's something of interest, of course, in Aurelia, no matter what perspective you're kind of coming from. So we're trying to talk about a lot of different things. It seems like a pretty uphill climb in, in the current climate to sell a new web framework or a new JavaScript client-side MVC. I think um, it's been amazingly successful. Uh, if you look at some of our statistics, our Gitter chat room has over 3,000 developers in it. That makes it the seventh largest Gitter room in the world. Uh, it has about 223,000 messages, which is the second most active Gitter room in the world. We have over 300 contributors to the open source project. That's not including our core team. That's 100 more contributors than Angular 2 has, you know. That's about half of what uh, Ember and React have. And we've only been announced for about one year compared to the three to six years that those other frameworks have had. So you can see that what is happening with Aurelia is actually a rather rapid growth. So yes, it is a challenge, but I think when people are seeing it and they're trying it out and they're 
kind of catching the vision for what we're building and see the direction where we're going, it's making a lot of sense to them. And a lot of people are getting involved and starting to build things. So I think if you kind of look at the life of the project, like, like I said, we only announced the alpha in February of last year. I mean, we're still in a beta right now. The amount of growth and traction that has happened in that very short period of time is rather phenomenal, especially when you do compare it to some of these other frameworks that have been around for multiple years or that have big uh, marketing or branding, if you will, powers behind them. So then uh, I'm curious, you know, what what is the draw with Aurelia? I mean, I definitely see the challenges with displacing some incumbents but at the same time, you know, you're also going to get new people coming in, looking at frameworks and going, this is the one I want to use or coming over from React or Angular or Ember saying, I like this particular bit of things better than, you know, something else. So, so what is that? What is that selling point? What is that, that thing that people are coming and seeing and going, yeah, this is the thing I want. So the first thing people see, and uh, it becomes immediately obvious when you use Aurelia is the absence of the framework in your inside of your application code. So with Aurelia, we, we try and make the framework be kind of more ambient in the sense that it's doing the work for you behind the scenes, but when you're writing your app, you just start playing JavaScript. So Aurelia is really the only framework that I know of today where you literally can build entire applications without importing the library anywhere into your JavaScript code. Now, in reality, you do, you do import our APIs and use them in more complex scenarios. But the point is that the framework really stays out of your way so that you can model your application through just pure JavaScript classes. Uh, and you don't see the framework intruding into your code. And that just lets developers focus on their app more. It makes their own code easier to read and understand. Again, it makes it easier to learn things. They don't have to worry about a bunch of APIs. It makes things more extensible. It increases the lifetime of your code because as frameworks and technologies change over time, the less that the framework intrudes into your app code, it means the longer the life of your app code. It's going to survive uh, changes in, in other technologies easier. Uh, it means that we can rev our framework more, even across major versions, without incurring a lot of upgrade work on the part of developers, again, because they're not engaging our APIs directly as much as with other frameworks. So I think developers see this and they go, wow, you know, this is about the best it could be in that sense that I just wrote a plain JavaScript class. I didn't import some Aurelia library. I didn't call some special API. It's just a class with properties and methods. And then there's a HTML view that renders that out. And that's, it's just really simple and clean. And I think that's the first thing that probably catches most people and they go, oh, this this makes sense, and I like this because I really don't want to have to learn a million you know, Angular API calls to create some directive. I should just be able to create a class, and it should just work. Uh, and that's kind of what Aurelia does. So that's the first thing I think that catches people, and that's, I think, something that's very unique to Aurelia that I haven't seen really anywhere else. Could you go a little bit more into detail on how exactly you can use Aurelia without actually directly engaging with the API, to use your terms? Like, what, what does that look like hands-on? Yeah, so imagine that you just create a class called App, and it has two properties. Um, just give it a property message and, and give it a method called um, speak or something, and it uh, shows an alert that displays that message. Now, it's just a normal class. You're not 
uh, importing some Aurelia APIs or anything like that. Um, but it has state, it has properties, it has methods. And then you create a view, which is a, a web components HTML template, and you create some HTML that's going to render that class. And so the methods and properties of the class are available to you to bind to in the view. Uh, so that's the only place that you see, quote, Aurelia APIs, but it's a very simple binding language in the HTML. Your JavaScript remains clean uh, and pure as just a plain class. Uh, so that's how you would put together, say, a simple component. Now, you can build, break your app down, of course, into components and components of components and components of components of components, and you can compose them together. And you can choose how you want to compose them together. You can compose, compose them through JavaScript, through standard object composition techniques, and Aurelia can render that out because it just renders the state of the objects. Or you can compose them through the view as well by using a custom element called compose we have, which you can point at any class and it will render that class using its view. And so you can use these different techniques of composition, but it's actually possible to build whole apps without ever, like I said, without ever using any uh, really APIs in JavaScript. You can keep your JavaScript really plain and, cure, uh, and pure. In practice, you know, you usually use some of our APIs for a few things, at least, just because it's more practical to uh, architect things in certain ways. But you have a much cleaner JavaScript code base, uh, which is free from intrusion of the library APIs themselves. So if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying the JavaScript itself won't necessarily inherit from or call into any really a specific APIs, but the HTML will, right? But it also uses web component language somehow. Can you explain how that works? Like where's yeah. the, where does Aurelia so, start and web components stop and so on? Yeah, so um, when you create an Aurelia component, it has two parts to it. It has the JavaScript part and the HTML part. Uh, the HTML part is just an HTML fragment that resides inside of an HTML template. And that's a web component. Part of the web component spec is the HTML template element. So we leverage web component technology for that. What it really does is it understands that components are constructed in a certain way. It knows that every component has this JavaScript class. It knows that it has this corresponding view. And therefore, it knows how to instantiate the class. It knows how to you know, compile or parse the template. It knows how to bind them together and render that. And so it does all that work, if you will, behind the scenes. We use various other uh, web components technologies. You can use Shadow DOM if you want. And we have a fallback if the browser doesn't support Shadow DOM. We don't use HTML imports. That's kind of not really happening right now. And we have an option to use uh, Web Components custom elements if you want. But we use our own kind of custom element code internally because it's way, way, way more efficient for a lot of scenarios. Uh, so we use a couple of the Web Component specs where applicable, and we make other ones optional. But really, again, it's just about trying to make it easy to develop. So developers can really just think about what is my code? You know, what is the state that's interesting to display here? What is the behavior here? And not having to worry about lots of configuration or metadata or API calls just to set up a component. You don't inherit from anything. You don't have to configure anything. You just create a class uh, and then you create your view. So I'm a little curious about the uh, production usage so far of Aurelia. What kind of projects are you seeing people put together in production? And in addition to the projects, what kind of people are you seeing adopting Aurelia for production use? Like big corporation, big enterprise, small or businesses, line of business type stuff, you know, what are you seeing? Right. 
so first, let me just preface by saying I can't give any company names because uh, <laughs> I have to be real careful about that. Various companies' marketing departments don't approve of me using their name as a, in certain contexts. But if I you whisper you that, it in Pig yeah. Latin, it's actually okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that various uh, various large companies of which you would recognize the name are using it for a number of things. We're seeing it used across a lot of different companies. It's being used in healthcare. It's being used in insurance. It's being used in manufacturing. Um, it's being used in, uh, certainly it's being used in line of business. It's being used in the financial industry. We're seeing it used for more design-oriented things uh, also and uh, media-oriented apps. I'm trying to think, what are some other examples? I mean, it's just, just about everything, to be honest. Transportation industry, government. So by no means is it going into a niche in those no. respects? No, it's a general or Team size or prod- products product project itself it works really well for very large-scale projects it works really well for small projects it's great uh, one of the things that it really is very uh, good at is facilitating team collaboration in fact there's a really cool Pluralsight course coming out that one of our core team members did which is how to use Aurelia to uh, facilitate team productivity um, and there are just certain things about the way the framework is put together that it helps a group of people work together uh, really well. So you can have a very large scale team, have multiple teams uh, working on highly composited apps, or you can have just a single person that, you know, they have their, uh, that they are the owner, developer, <laughs> marketer of their company, and they're developing their own product. We have the full, kind of the full breadth of scenarios uh, building, you know, and companies building with Aurelia now. So one of the things that you will sometimes hear different framework apologists talk about is, hey, and this I think I often see this in blog posts where somebody put a blog post that says, choose between, you know, these five frameworks. And then when they get down to it, they try to break it down to if you're doing this type of application, you should use this framework. If you're doing this type, you should use this framework. I personally have never adopted that sort of attitude. I've never thought that that was really a viable way to choose a framework was based on the kind of app. Now, there's certainly some kinds of apps that just don't make sense for certain frameworks. I don't know, Joe. I mean, if you're building an Angular app, you should probably use (laughs) Angular. (laughs) (laughs) I can can give you an example, though. I mean, some of the things that I've heard are, for example, Ember has some really nice data management bits to it, you know, where you're pulling data off of the server and you're keeping track of all that stuff. Uh, right. React manages uh, state flow and data flow really nicely. You know, Ember is usually used to manage transformations on the DOM and things like that really neatly. So, you know, if and, and the, the flip side of this is that the to-do MVC, I've heard proponents of pretty much everything <laughs> except Backbone say, yeah, well, it doesn't show off the really powerful features of the framework. So, I mean, yeah. are, are there price, specific price. aspects of Aurelia that lend themselves really nicely to specific classes of problems? Sure. Uh, one thing that Aurelia does very well is what I would call dynamic composition of user interfaces. So imagine that you're building a dashboard app, and depending on what user is logging in, they're going to have their own custom configuration of widgets that are displayed on their dashboard, which widgets they've selected and how they're configured. And so when you render that screen out, you want to you want to render these widgets based off of the data. And with other frameworks, usually you have to write a lot of imperative code to do that. It's a bit complicated. With Aurelia, it's super simple because 
um, we have this notion of UI composition whereby you can basically just repeat over this these list of widget configurations and just render each one. And even if there are different types of objects or different types of widgets, we can kind of polymorphically render them. So for each type of object, we can automatically render a different component and so on and so forth. I once actually built a system. This is actually with Durandal, um, but this concept comes with from Durandal into Aurelia. I once built a system that was a, a graphical scripting engine, uh, whereby we completely rendered the entire uh, abstract syntax tree of the language as a set of hierarchical components. And it was done with this one simple composition capability. It required exactly two lines of HTML to do. And the system was fully extensible so that as I expanded the scripting language over time, I simply created new AST uh, nodes and new views, one for each of them, and it just worked. It was a good architecture that, that illustrated the use of the open-close principle so that the system could be basically infinitely extended without ever having to change any of the existing code. And that's kind of the thing that you get by using compositional patterns, and Aurelia is very, very, very good at this. So you can... We talk about these components and, you know, I want to have foo custom element and bar custom element and this screen and that screen. But the other thing that Aurelia can do is dynamically combine and render any combination of class, view, and model object. And it can combine them in certain ways and it can do it completely based on data at runtime. And as those values change over the course of the program, it will recompose and re-render only the parts of the screen that change based off of the changing of that data. So if you've got an app that you're building that's very driven structurally and visually by the content of the data itself, then Aurelia makes it very, very easy to build that kind of an app. Like you mentioned, pretty much all the major frameworks, they do most things pretty well. Uh, but that's something that Aurelia does um, exceptionally well. And I haven't really seen anything quite like it among the other major frameworks. You could do that with React. Um, pretty easily, I think, just because um, you would use just traditional JavaScript polymorphism to do that kind of thing, uh, to render your React components that, that way. I haven't seen what I'm talking about in any of the frameworks like Aurelia that have more declarative data binding systems like in Ember or in Angular or something like that. Yeah, it seems like you're saying you can, at, the, at runtime, you can mix and match like what template should be rendered with what like component. And uh, it, it seems like in Angular, and I don't know about Ember, but that, that stuff's all defined like more statically. Yes, okay. and with Aurelia, we have conventions because you know 80% of the time you do do it a particular way, but you can override the conventions and you can use these other compositional mechanisms that let you mix and match anything. And again, it can be completely based off of data and it can change as the data changes over the life of the app and it's really easy to do that i'm very passionate about that feature because i i've worked a lot over the years with companies building apps where this particular feature just ended up making something take five minutes instead of five days or five weeks even in some cases uh, so it's, it's very very powerful and uh that's a kind of a core capability of aurelia that i think people end up selecting it for that kind of dynamic UI composition. Interesting. So you mentioned Durandal. Is Aurelia Durandal 2 or is it totally different? Or most So, different? yeah, Durandal, uh, there is actually a 2.0 Durandal. So Durandal had uh, two major versions and it's still quite successful today. It's one of those, I think, less known frameworks, but uh, everywhere I go, every city, every country, people are coming up to me telling me about what they've built with it. It's actually a lot 
uh, behind the scenes in big companies and in governments and in insurance and healthcare and other and other places. It's not the kind of thing that you would see out in the limelight, but it's used all over the place. And really what happened with the Randall too is there came a point where I realized that to really kind of take things to the next level, it it needed to be reimagined in terms of you know, ECMAScript 2015, in terms of web components and some other things like this. And Durandal was really built as a thin layer over um, RequireJS, jQuery, and Knockout. And some of those dependencies were actually causing some limitations on Durandal itself. And so we realized that we needed to remove those third-party dependencies, build a new modern data binding engine, uh, base modularization on ECMAScript 2015 modules, get rid of the jQuery abstraction, which was not necessary in modern browsers. And so you can think of it really as a reimagining of Durandal. There's a lot of similarities. For anyone that used Durandal in the past, they will recognize that our router is basically configured the same way. Our uh, navigation and routing lifecycle has the same names for all the callbacks. Durandal had this composition capability. Aurelia has it. It's kind of nicer in Aurelia. The methodology for creating components and building apps is the same with Aurelia as it was in Durandal. So there's a lot, a lot of similarities so that people that have Durandal code bases can very easily migrate to Aurelia. Um, and we have members of our core team that were uh, highly active Durandal members that actually migrated rather serious apps to Aurelia. Uh, really early last year with great success. So you can think of it as a, it's not a Durandal 2.0, it's kind of like a, a Durandal 5.0. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a really a reimagining and kind of a jumping ahead, but really in the same vein, the same concepts kind of evolved in terms of more modern technology. While we're on the topic, I would like to hear a little bit about the similarities between Aurelia and Angular 2. I, I mean, I know from history, you spent some time on the Angular 2 team, then you left and you went and started Aurelia. So what similarities does uh, Aurelia and Angular 2, and I, I actually have a little bit of experience since I wrote a blog post uh, about a, like a little simple app to write in Angular 2, and you wrote a derivative blog post on that showing how to build it in, a in Aurelia, showing that, hey, there's actually a ton less ceremony and stuff when you do mm -hmm. the same thing in Aurelia. So I'm kind of curious as to what the similarities might be. Right. Well, the similarities are uh, from an architectural perspective and looking at components, both frameworks use the same uh, separated presentation patterns. So, you know, things like MVC, MVP, MVVM, all these patterns that are under the umbrella of separated presentation, um, you know, each framework kind of picks one of those and has their own twist on it. And really both Angular 2 and Aurelia use something that would be called the view model pattern or the presentation model pattern, or you may have heard the model view view model pattern. And this is something that arose really in heavily data binding based platforms. And this pattern is where essentially you have some class or object that models the state and behavior and where you have a view that renders that state. In effect, the class becomes a model for the view. And so both Aurelia and Angular 2 have that same basic architectural concept when it comes to building components. And incidentally, that's just actually the, the same design pattern that Durandal uses, and it's the same design pattern that some of my other platforms use going back to about 2005. Um, I first started using that particular uh, presentation pattern on uh, Windows Presentation Foundation, which was a highly declarative data binding based platform that Microsoft released. They released it in 2006. I was an early adopter. 
And that's kind of when that term view model or model view view model started to originate. It, it, it was kind of in that community. And of course, it's used, it was used in Flash and Flex, and it was used in Silverlight, and then it was started to be used on the web as well. So that's kind of a big similarity in terms of the architectural way that components are put together. Where they differ then is kind of in the details of how you do constructing these view view model pairs, if you will. You know, as you mentioned, you, I'd written this post that showed how to do it with Angular 2, and basically what I did is I cut out a whole bunch of code and said, this, and this is how you do it with Aurelia, uh, because Aurelia is very, is, favors convention over configuration. So you would just create a class and create a view in Aurelia, whereas in Angular 2, you would have to have a lot more metadata to describe kind of how those pieces fit together. Other similarities, I mean, they're both uh, component-oriented architectures, uh, that's very common in a lot of the frameworks. React is obviously a component-oriented architecture. Ember is component-oriented. Um, sort of all the modern frameworks follow that pattern in general. And like I said, depending on each framework kind of has a different presentation pattern maybe that they use to build their components. So those are other big similarities. When I worked on the Angular 2 team, I uh, did the first implementation of their new router. And I know that that has changed probably quite a bit since I left the team. But that router actually was based on Durandal's router, believe it or not. And Aurelia's router is based on Durandal's router. So there's interestingly, the routers for both frameworks have a common heritage in Durandal. So there's some similarities there, although there's, again, variations in terms of they've gone kind of a different direction and we've gone kind of a different direction. I think, what are, what are some other similarities? Those are a couple of the big similarities. I mean, obviously with both frameworks, we're really focusing on modern JavaScript. So ECMAScript 2015 and beyond and or TypeScript. We build our code with Babel, uh, whereas TypeScript or whereas like Angular is actually built with TypeScript. But in both cases, they we both support either direction that you want to go in writing your own code. So th- that's a big similarity. I'm trying to think, what are some other similarities? I mean, there's a lot of differences and it's all it's all in the details of things. I personally think that they add up enough that there's compelling reason to choose Aurelia. Obviously, I thought there was enough. There was enough, or else I wouldn't have built it. But I think that an Angular two developer, if they wanted to build something with Aurelia, would be able to learn Aurelia very quickly. Conceptually, they would see a number of similarities. I think they would find it easier. Obviously, I think they would. I think they would probably write less code. I think they'd have a cleaner solution, and on and on. And I could say all kinds of things like that. But I think that they would see some common ground there. But you would also see this, I think, even with Ember. Something like React, of course, is very different. But Ember and Angular and Aurelia have a very similar way of kind of thinking about the problem. And I think that if you're coming from one of those backgrounds, you would see uh, a number of similarities. I, I have to ask, you mentioned convention over configuration, and I found that in systems that adopt convention over configuration like Rails and Ember, it's very easy if you're working along the not the conventions, the assumptions that they make when they create the conventions. But when you need to go outside of them, sometimes it's fine and it's easy to work outside of the convention. And sometimes the framework kind of gets in the way a little bit. How Mm -hmm. easy is it to work around the conventions in Aurelia? It's pretty easy, actually, because the conventions are layered on top of an infrastructure that that you can tap directly into. So the the conventions are basically just like shortcuts for doing uh, things which you could always do manually. And so at any point in time for anything, you can kind of take control and say, well, I want to do it this other way. As an example, when you build a component in Aurelia, you build this class and say you put it in 
your app.js module, and then you'll have your view in the app HTML file. And the framework just knows that those two pieces go together and that's how it works. But you could say, well, for component app, actually, I want to use, you know, Bob HTML as a view. And so you can say like, well, for this instance, I want to override the convention and specify that the, the view that renders this component is over here. But it actually goes beyond that because in Aurelia, we have this notion of view strategy, which is that for every component, there is a strategy that determines how to render that view. So rather than even just pointing it at some other template, you can actually implement this view strategy class and you can write custom code that can go load the view from anywhere you want, compile the view in any way you want, and it can be all asynchronous and completely deliver this factory, if you will, that creates views for this component on the fly. So there's this layered architecture around components, but at the top for the 80% use case, you don't you don't see that it just follows the it follows this simple convention, but you can drop down lower and lower and lower to different levels to take more and more control. And like I said, even with the really down to the point of controlling how and where templates are loaded from on a per component basis, having your own parsing and compilation logic. Uh, if you don't want to use HTML, you know if you want to use something else, or if you want to imperatively construct a view and code entirely and hand it back, you can do any anything you want. Um, at that level. But the conventions are all built on top of that. In fact, we have, talking about these view strategies for components, we have something called the conventional view strategy. And that's the implementation of view strategy, which a component gets if the component does not specify a view strategy. So that's the kind of technique that's used throughout Aurelia, uh, whereas, uh, you know, it looks for configuration if basically if it doesn't find it, then it falls back to some convention, which we think is a very reasonable pattern for developing, say, 80 to 80 percent use case. But you can always override that with anything you want. That makes I sense. Found, Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I found because I do a lot of consulting. That's basically what my job has been for the last 10 years has been consulting with all sorts of different companies, and it's been primarily in front-end engineering. And the thing is that every every company, every product just has something unique about it, and there's something that you didn't plan for explicitly in the way that the conventions work or explicitly in what's out of the box with the framework. They have to do something unique, usually. And so you want to make sure that they can. You don't ever want to box them in so that they hit some hard barrier that they can't pass through, you know, that they have to then go all the way back to, you know, in worst case, throughout the framework and rebuild things or go so low level that it's as if the framework isn't giving them any benefits at all. So you have to kind of layer uh, these abstractions very carefully so that developers can take that control when they need to. But also think about, you know, based off of, in this case, it's based off of a wide range of experiences that I have and that our team have had. We kind of can determine, you know, like what's 80% of the time roughly what are people going to need to do? And we can make that super, super easy. And that makes things easy to learn again as well. Just less to learn. They just write simple code. And then on an as-needed basis, they can kind of decide to override things or, or drop down and do crazy things if they want. I wanted to talk a little bit about web components. You've mentioned Aurelia's integration with web components a little bit. And I was just reading through the, the docs on your site too. Is it required to use web components or does it just work well if you want to use them with Aurelia? Yeah, so there's a couple of different kind of ways to look at this. First off, that by default, our templating engine... So, so remember that, let me back up. Remember that web components is actually a collection of specifications. So there's typically, 
HTML template element, custom element, shadow DOM, and HTML import, although HTML import's kind of in parentheses, if you will, because it's extremely contentious right now. So our templating engine, by default, assumes that you're writing your views using HTML template element. So it just uses that particular specification directly, and that's just how you do things. You can override that and do different things if you want. Most people won't because there's not really a tremendous need or uh, benefit even from from really doing that. So that's one spec that we use directly in the core. Um, you can also specify on a per-component basis that you want a component to render into Shadow DOM instead of into the Light DOM. And so we will use that feature of Web Components if you tell us to. And we have a fallback for if it's not implemented in the browser. And we also enable all the features of, of Shadow DOM even if you just want to create an, a Light DOM-based component. So we do content projection is kind of the main thing. Uh, that we enable there. What's what's content projection? I'm not familiar with that. Okay, uh, so for <laughs> the Angular for the Angular people out there, it's transclusion basically. Uh, but in, in Web Component speak, it's content projection. So imagine you have my custom element, and my custom element has some uh, is a name tag. Let's just call it name tag custom element. And when it renders itself, it's going to render as you know like this section with a header that says hello my name is and then there's going to be at the bottom there's going to be a footer and then somewhere in the middle it wants to render the person's name right but that's not part of the component when you use my name tag uh, uh, custom element you want to in the content of the html place the name and then have that projected into that content slot in uh, the web components view. So that's called content projection. In React, it's it's this.props.children, right? Effectively the same concept. I would, that probably sounds like it's right. I'm not a React expert, so I couldn't tell you for sure. I know that in Angular speak, it's transclusion. Yeah. Uh, in, In web components speak, it's called content projection. Um, so we support all that, even if you're not using Shadow DOM. So, you know, we enable you to optionally use it natively if it's present. But even if it's not present, we enable it. And we kind of model our component design off of Shadow DOM so that when you're working with our components, you don't have to think about whether it's there or not. And you're also, you're learning these web component specifications while you're using, while you're learning Aurelia. And that's one of the interesting things we've heard the community remark is actually a positive uh, aspect of Aurelia, which is they felt like, the hardest part of learning Aurelia is that they had to get up to speed on ECMAScript 2015 and web components. But that's actually a great thing for them long term to learn the real kind of native languages of the web. Uh, and we really encourage that. Those are kind of two of the specs that we use internally. We let you optionally use HTML imports. So our template loading is done completely through the ES6 module loader. But we let you plug into that to control how templates are loaded. So if you want to integrate with something like Polymer, uh, we have a lot of people that are, well, not a lot of people, we have a, a chunk of people that are using Polymer and Aurelia together. You can tell our templating engine to use Web Component HTML import technology to load its templates. And that works really nicely when integrating with Polymer. So that's an optional plugin. And then for custom elements, we work with any web component, so you can bring in third-party web components and things just work. And there's some configurations you can do to set up things. If a particular element isn't quite working the way you want, you can tell the framework a bit more about it and make it work. 
Um, but we also support the notion of exporting Aurelia's custom elements as web component custom elements. And that's an optional plugin you can drop in for, say, somebody that wants to basically do the same thing as what Polymer does. Like they want, they want to build web components and maybe create this web component library for other people to use, but they want to have a framework to help them do it. Um, so they can drop this plugin in and it will export Aurelia's custom elements as web component spec elements, which can then be used inside of any other framework. So you could then take Aurelia, for example, and use it inside of a Polymer app, or you could, uh, you know, assuming Angular 2 is uh, supporting web components, you could use an Aurelia web component inside of an Angular 2 app. So there's a lot of different angles that we kind of try and integrate and work with web components by specifically using the specs, by modeling things after the specs and enabling optional usage, by integrating with some of the specs to facilitate working with other frameworks, and by having these optional plugins that allow us to export components to these standards as well. Hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) No, that does. I feel like that's uh, one of the better stories of web components that I've heard from a technology perspective. I feel like oftentimes it's just this magic word. It's like the big data of the front end. (laughs) Just say web components and then it must be good. But but that makes sense. That it sounds like it makes the framework better to use the underlying technologies. Trying, we're trying. I'm I'm really big on standards. My personal experience working with native technologies in the past, I've been burned a number of times. So I'm I've just become by virtue of that. I think I've just really had my eyes open to the goodness of the open web and really trying to play well with specifications and with the broader community and and building frameworks and libraries and tools that facilitate and help other developers to kind of work that way. So that's really important to us. Now, I asked this question uh, when you were on Adventures in Angular, or at least a version of this, but I'd like to talk about it again. We're seeing a large movement, I think, in the MVC frameworks that are going on today towards this concept of one-way data flows and single-state trees. Can you talk about that in respect with Aurelia and maybe your opinions and thoughts about it? Yeah. In short, I think one-directional data flow is awesome. I think that's a good characteristic to have of a system. I don't know that it's something that you can always have 100% of the time for every app you build, especially very complicated apps. But I think it's a good quality, and I think it's something to aim for. To that end, Aurelia's data binding system by default is one-directional, meaning that data flows from your view model, your JavaScript state, into your view and not the other direction, with the exception of form elements which usually you need to synchronize with. So those uh, flow in two directions. That's actually part of the convention. So talking about how conventions work in different ways in Aurelia, data binding in Aurelia has this notion of conventions, which is that data binding is always one way, except form elements, which are two-way. That's something you can actually override on a case-by-case basis, making any binding one-way, two-way, or one-time. And you can actually plug in additional behaviors and do all kinds of crazy interesting things. So Aurelia supports this notion of unidirectional data flow by making its default convention for all normal bindings basically to be one directional. Uh, But it also supports uh, developers practically knowing that there are cases, particularly in the local collaboration inside of a component where two-way data binding that's isolated makes a lot of sense and makes a lot of things simpler. But it discourages developers from doing the sort of things that were problematic with data binding systems historically, both in Angular and Ember, 
which I think that those teams that, you know, the Angular and the Ember team would all would both agree with me and would want people to stay away from these types of things. And the types of things people used to do were basically using the binding system as a messaging system, which it should not be used as. Um, so there's a way... Can you go into more detail about that? That's a really interesting thing that you said, and it's one of those concepts I'd like to... Yeah, you know, so... Uh, can it be explained? Yeah, a binding system, you know, under the covers is is working basically on some sort of eventing, kind of quasi-eventing system, right? When this thing changed, notify this other thing, and then it does something. Now, that's shockingly like a pub-sub model, right, or an event aggregator or these kinds of patterns. But it's not traceable and it's not visible the way an explicit publish-subscribe architecture would be. Um, you take something like Flux from the React world, and this is a very explicit architecture around actions and messaging and the way that works, and people can see it and understand how the flow of things works and how the application is supposed to work. Now, if you try to, you can actually accomplish the same thing through data binding by simply um, binding properties to properties. Then when that property changes, it triggers something else and changes some other property. And so it's, it's possible technically to achieve the same thing, but it's a disaster architecturally because the visibility of what is happening in the system is completely hidden. Uh, there's no way to trace that. There's no way a developer looking at a particular component can see what is actually happening there. They can't see the side effects of things. So when you use data binding, it's not bad inherently in itself, but it can be abused in that sort of way that causes tremendous problems. And of course, that causes a lot of issues with Angular 1 because when it was used that way, the digest cycle uh, had to keep running over and over and over again. And then that, that resulted in performance issues as well. But you want to use a data binding system in a very local way. That is to say, within a component, the view and the view model are connected, and that is the only state synchronization that's happening. You're not binding to binding to binding to binding to binding to pass some messages, you know, some weird location way up the tree that nobody could ever discern from looking at your code. If you really have something that is messaging-oriented, you want to use... Uh, a publish-subscribe architecture of some sort, event aggregator or something like Flux, if that makes sense for you. Um, but you don't want to try to achieve those same types of things through a binding system. That's It's just disastrous. And depending on what framework you're doing it with, it could be disastrous in multiple ways. So really, it's about picking the right tool, the right approach for the problem at hand and not trying to solve messaging issues with data binding. So... Yeah, those things are good for certain contexts, and you want to kind of be careful. Be careful about how you're using them. I've seen great, some crazy great things. Explanation. I've seen great some explanation. really, really crazy things over the years. So <laughs> yeah. you just you have to be careful about that. Uh, data binding. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of data binding. Obviously, it's, it's in Aurelia, and I've been doing it for over 10 years now across different platforms. So I, I find it indispensable for productivity and uh, just uh, eliminating boilerplate, but you have to use it within the set of constraints that it was designed for. If you try and use it for these other things, you're just asking to have a disaster. Use an event aggregator or some sort of publish-subscribe architecture for those other things. Absolutely. I know you had a couple other questions, Dave. I want to make sure you got a chance to ask them. Yeah, should we talk about routing? Can you tell us what Aurelia does for that? Yeah, so uh, Aurelia has an, uh, a router plugin. So Aurelia actually is very componentized. Even its core is a set of small modules that kind of come together. And the router is uh, an additional plugin you can drop in. It's one 
uh, that most people use, but you don't have to use it. And it's, it's a typical router at the surface level. It tracks the history changes and basically it maps those patterns to modules, ECMAScript 2015 modules, and which basically equate to components in Aurelia, right? So what happens is if you match the customer route, then um, you can say that that maps to the customer module. And uh, we'll use the ES6 uh, module loader to grab the customer module, and that exports a class. It can be just a plain class, and that's the behavior and the state for your screen. And so then we'll, we'll load that. We'll load its view by convention usually, and we'll render them, and we'll display that in the screen. One cool, you know, there's a lot of cool things about Aurelia's router. We have hierarchical routers, so if that component that you just navigated to, it can actually it can have its own router internally, which routes relative to the parent, and it will then render components internally inside of it. So you can have these hierarchies of routers if you want, which is really very useful when you have large scale applications where you have teams that are working on different parts of an application together, but where they want to kind of, they want to stay out of each, other, each other's turf, if you will. So they want to have their own router that they configure. And so you can let, say, a whole team, you can just say, here's your router, configure it, build your whole, build this whole section of the app as if it's living in isolation. Because in the end, it's actually just a component, but it's a very rich component that maybe has sub-routers and sub-screens and things. And then you can drop it into the larger app and it will just plug in to that root app-level router. So we have these uh, optional hierarchies of routers. We have very explicit state transitions. Um, the router internally has an asynchronous pipeline, very much like what you might find uh, in server-side routing. And you can plug steps into it and remove steps from it. And that it just controls how the state transitions from screen to screen. And you can cancel navigation, and you can asynchronously load data during navigation. and do all kinds of interesting stuff. It's quite powerful, pretty easy to configure, and uh, it follows the same sorts of conventions that the rest of Aurelia does. So, you know, in Aurelia, whether you're creating an app or a component or a, a screen that's going to be navigated to or a modal dialog box or a pop-up or any of these kind of things, it's just a component, it's just a plain class and a view. Uh, and the router works with those same primitives. Does that transition stuff allow you to hook in for animations and, and things like that as well? Absolutely, yeah. So Aurelia, the templating engine has an animation abstraction. And anytime it modifies the structure of the DOM, we have this internal um, abstraction called a view slot that, rec- uh, that represents some location in the DOM where things are going to be added or removed or inserted and so on and so forth. And so the router, when it loads up a component, it just talks to this view slot and says, all right, add this component into this location. And the view slot automatically talks to our animator and gives the animator the opportunity to animate this adding or removing or inserting of the component. Um, By default, there's no animation, but you can plug in different animation libraries that implement our animator interface. And it will just work uh, with with everything that manipulates DOM structure. So we have a CSS animator out of the box. That's an optional plugin. We also have a velocity-based animator that you can drop in. Uh, you don't change any of your code anywhere. You just install the plugin and configure the animation, and uh, it works. It works with routing. It works with composition. It works with repeaters that add and remove things from items. The same abstraction is used everywhere. So you can do animation that way. That's cool. I'm really glad to hear that the animation stuff is built into the framework that it seems like that's a thing that uh, a lot of frameworks just 
didn't think about and then it's a hard problem to solve after the fact it is it's mm-hmm. it's uh that's kind of from some learning with the randall we kind of with the randall we kind of hacked it on a little bit later and it proved to never be quite ideal so with aurelia we wanted this abstraction to be a core abstraction in the templating engine in the core uh, but we wanted to give flexibility to people because there are some amazing animation libraries. Like we didn't want to be responsible for having to build the most cutting edge, amazing animation library out there. We wanted somebody that loved using GreenSock or Velocity or Tiny Animate to just be able to drop it in and have it work seamlessly with our templating engine. So we had that notion of that animator abstraction as something kind of we learned the lesson from in the past, and we really wanted it in there from the beginning with Aurelia. Outside of routing, does Aurelia have support for animation? Yeah, yeah. So that that animator plugs into this view slot abstraction, and anytime anything gets added to the dot uh, to the DOM, it gets added to a view slot. Mm, so okay. the repeater, for example, when you repeat over an array and it renders a view for each item in the array, it's pushing items into the view slot. Uh, if you have an if binding that conditionally renders or doesn't render something, when it does render it into the DOM, it's pushing it into a view slot. Uh, when you display a modal dialog, it's pushing that into a view slot. When you compose the, the application root, it's pushing it into a view slot. So anywhere in the app where there are structural changes that are made to the DOM by any component, that goes through a view slot, and the view slot talks to the animator. So any of those things can be animated. I have some kind of some housekeeping questions, like really basic things that maybe have quick answers, but I think are interesting to people nonetheless. Can you tell us a little bit about code size? It sounds like it's a plug-in architecture, so it's not like a kitchen sink all-in-one, but tell us how much code we'll have to add to our users' download to use Aurelia. Yeah, so this is actually a really fun question because we just had a release today where we knocked about 50 or 60K off of the library size. Nice. So the core of Aurelia now, I think, is sitting at about 200 and, like I said, this just changed today, and I haven't gone and bundled and minified everything to get the exact number uh, for the final count uh, as of today's release. I mean, literally, like a couple hours ago. I think it's sitting about 220K minified for the core, and you can add another 40K to that, which, which will include a CSS animation, an HTTP client, and the router. That's roughly the same size as Polymer, um, although it's got more features than Polymer because Polymer out of the box doesn't come with the router or animation or HTTP. It's about, that makes it about 150 to 200K smaller than Ember, and it's about a third the size of Angular 2. Angular 2 is quite large. So in terms of modern frameworks, the only thing smaller than it is React. And of course, React is more of a, a rendering library and less of a, an all-in-one framework, if you will. Angular 1 is also smaller, but I'm kind of, no offense to anybody, I'm kind of thinking of Angular 1 as a kind of a previous generation framework. So it's among the smallest of the modern uh, full frameworks. It's highly modular. So there's a lot of things you can pull out and change or add things on. Uh, depending on what you want to do. So we really embraced ECMAScript 2015 modules and thought very carefully about the architecture of the framework as a whole um, so that we could have these discrete pieces that could evolve independently of the other pieces and be maintained by different developers and and, just independently versioned and released and yet collaborate together as part of a larger framework, if you will, that people could use as a one-stop shop if they want for building apps. Cool. My second nuts and bolts question is, what are your minimum supported browser versions, especially Internet Explorer? 
IE9, yeah. Usually when people ask versions, they mean they only care about IE9. Yeah, yeah, so true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so we support IE9 and above. And um, uh, what's the minimum version of Opera Mini? Oh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we were recently, just this week, doing some work on Opera. Uh, so we didn't officially support it, but we're working on that. There's one Opera Mini engineer listening with a single tear just running down his cheek. Like, my We had a request from somebody that used the Pale Moon browser, oh. uh, which I had never heard of. Uh, I never, but never heard of it. Yeah, so uh, he said, I found a bug. Yeah. <laughs> I said, we'll look into it. Oh, man. I recently obviously, learned about oh, – go ahead. As you say, we like – obviously, we want to support as many as, as much as sure. we can. But I, I recently found out our app at work has some bugs with AOL browser, which apparently is a thing. There's been several incarnations of it. Wow. So, yeah, it's a thing. People still maybe, use that. Maybe it's hipsters using vintage browsers to get – Back to the roots of the web. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still use Mosaic. Mosaic. Because that's okay. how it was supposed to be done. That's how our overlords at the University of Illinois wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my last question for you is about performance. Like, what kind of work have you put into it and how does it stack up? And I know this is not like an easy question to answer in one sentence, but tell us a little bit about performance culture, let's say, on the Aurelia team. You're, yeah. supposed, to, you're supposed to say, Dave, it's fast. It is. It's awesome. It's faster than uh, your framework. It is. <laughs> no, we actually. Um, I come from. Uh, I, I kind of have this belief of not needing to do the optimization work too early. So in the beginning of Aurelia, we focused a lot on getting the right abstractions in place, getting the right developer experience, all those kinds of things. Along the ways, making lots of notes about, okay, this is some place we can do performance work. Here's a place we can do performance work. About November of last year uh, is when we actually started the very serious performance work. And believe it or not, within about six weeks, maybe less, we had tuned uh, performance to the degree that if you look at the DB Monster demo, for example, this is one of these classic list rendering demos that was put forth to show React performance. Um, we're rendering about twice as fast as React. It renders in that demo at roughly the same speed. It depends on what browser, of course, and everything else, but I've seen it 10 to 15% faster than Angular 2. I've seen other people say that Angular 2 is faster. Again, it really depends, but they're basically right there, uh, neck and neck, you know, for the DB Monster benchmark. That's just an independent benchmark on performance. So basically, <laughs> it really is right there at the top. Uh, in terms of performance. Then you've got render time. That's something we're constantly working on. Um, it's probably down to a couple of hundred milliseconds now to render. Uh, where most of our rendering, ren- initial render time issues have come from technologies not ours. Actually, we found this insane bug in Edge's Promise implementation that if you replaced Edge's Promise with Bluebird, like, it would go from 20 sec taking 20 seconds to load down to taking 200 milliseconds. We have actually discovered a number of performance issues in other technology, which we've gone back to those projects and, and alerted them and tried to contribute. Like the Edge team, to their credit, is, of course, in development right now fixing that issue. Um, so it's a very serious known issue with their Promise implementation. It's actually a regression from Internet Explorer, believe it or not, a massive regression. So we're constantly doing work on... Um, you know, time to initial render, 
Um, and that's really improved quite a lot there as well. So performance-wise, I mean, I think we're right there at the top with the best of the best there. And what kind of tools do you give developers who are building apps in Aurelia to diagnose and improve the performance of their own apps? Yeah, so we have our own benchmarking tool, which is open source. It's the stuff that we use to benchmark all of our uh, the framework itself. And so that's actually completely open source. It's actually written with Aurelia. It gives graphs of uh, different performance runs over time, uh, both visually and metric numbers and you know different things like that. So we make that available to anyone that wants to use that tool and write their own benchmarks to test things out. Uh, we have some Chrome debug tools, but those are not really performance-oriented. They're more, uh, like I said, just debug-oriented, inspecting the state of things like that. And we're constantly brainstorming about improving tooling. I think that's something that we hope to do a lot of work on in the next year, really building up some rich tooling around Aurelia. But you can use the same benchmarking stuff that we use. It's just under the Aurelia org on GitHub. It's the benchmark repo. So you can totally pull that down and write your own stuff and test your own app. One other thing that uh, I wanted to ask, it, it actually came out of a question that Dave posted in the chat. You mentioned that you can write Aurelia in ES6 or ES2015. Oh, and you can also write it in TypeScript. Can you write it in ES5? You can, actually. We have, if you go to... Um, Actually, we don't show how to do that in the documentation now that I think about it, but you can. We, we, uh, we Basically, you would write classes in ES5 the way you would have written them in ES5, prototype-based, you know, constructor function-y stuff. And that really just interprets that the same way. And if, you're, if you want to use decorators, which we use for some things, uh, we have an API that lets you use them in ES5. It doesn't require any special syntax. So we've tried to think very carefully about making sure... You know, kind of our optimal experience is really, you know, ES Next, basically, is what I would call it. But we've thought very carefully through all the APIs to make sure that there are decent ways to do them with ECMAScript 5. Though we try and we really strongly encourage people to adopt modern JavaScript. Uh, but it is absolutely accounted for. One last question that I have is I looked at Aurelia a bit and I don't remember seeing anything in the way of like data management. So reaching out to the server, you get JSON back. It, you know, uh, I know that Ember does some inflation into actual JavaScript objects that do stuff, but Angular doesn't really do that. You know, a lot of these other frameworks don't really do that. Does Aurelia provide something like that or do you expect other people to provide that uh, layer? For the moment, we basically only provide uh, an HTTP client. And we have tried to help people basically to use some of the other libraries that are out there that are good at this sort of thing uh, and shown them how to get a really nice experience using them with Aurelia. One that's really popular is Breeze.js, and one of our core contributors has used that a whole lot. And he's got some really cool demos out there using like a Breeze with a, a traditional Northwind database and uh, materialized CSS where he builds the whole line of business app you know, and shows how to use it. So we basically, you know, right now what we want to do is have a really strong front-end framework, and but we want to enable people to bring to the table the libraries that they like best for certain things, like what's your favorite validation library, what's your favorite data library, what's your favorite animation library. Bring those to the table, and we've designed Aurelia to integrate really well with all these things. So we're not trying to tackle that data problem right now. It's a big problem to solve on its own. And we feel that there's been some good work out there already, and we're kind of trying to point people to that and show them how to use that. 
All right. Well, I think you ran us all out of questions. Awesome. Now the only thing that's left is for all of you to build Aurelia apps. <laughs> and then send them to me. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's get to the picks while we're waiting on that. Uh, Joe, do you have some picks for us? Sure. I do. So my first pick is going to be crispy bacon. In between asking questions, I was eating a whole batch of crispy bacon, and it was delicious. Oh, man. Now, does, what that, are, does that mean that your second pick is greasy keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> it's crispy, Chuck, so it's not greasy. That's uh-huh. the point. What it's are the crispy. units on a batch? Is a batch like a a kilo or <laughs> slices? Um, uh, yeah. I, I measure it in micrograms. It's several billion micrograms. Several. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. It, it just so, added to the waste. You need to go out right now and eat a batch of crispy bacon. Now, you may or may not understand what a batch is. You, that's up to you to figure it out. But nonetheless, a batch of crispy bacon is the assignment here. A batch it's delicious. is what you feel in your heart. Right now, dear listener, you have two homeworks. You have to write an Aurelia app and you have to get some crispy bacon. Crispy bacon, right. Or together. Secondary, if if it's not a batch, it can be a plethora. Either one is acceptable. (laughs) My second pick is going to be a play, a musical that I saw about a year ago. And I'm going to be seeing it tomorrow night. It's called A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. One of the funniest plays, musicals I've seen. I saw it in Broadway and it's traveling here in Utah to yeah, this time I'm really excited to go see it. Absolutely hilarious. Highly recommend it if you happen to like plays or musicals. It was a great one. And my final pick is going to be my favorite pick by far, and that is Jameson Dance's React Conference Talk. It was absolutely amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it, and I was a little bit proud to be from Utah watching Jameson just kill it on stage over React Conf. He talked about Elm and the justification for why you should learn Elm and the things that uh, are great about Elm. And I think he did an amazing job. And in my opinion, the best half-hour talk you can see on Elm that is available yet uh, as of this date. So go watch it. There'll be a link in the show notes. Or go over. you can go to just React Comp site and find Jameson and watch his talk. It was absolutely great. Do you hear this? That's the sound of me blushing, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, Jameson, the Elm expert, what are your picks? Uh, please never call me that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people to get a false impression of how smart I am. My picks are two picks. They're both uh, albums that I found this week. One is called Vessel by Lorne. Lorne is one of my favorite electronic bands, and they put out a new album on Bandcamp a couple months ago that I just found out about yesterday. So it's it's really good, kind of mellow dubstep-ish, but not dubstep music. And the next pick is uh, an album called The Moon Rang Like a Bell by 100 Waters. And it's very different from Lauren, but it's also good. Those are my two picks. That's what I've been listening to this week. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of picks here. The The first one is I just barely put up. If you go to javascriptjabber.com, you can get the top 10 episodes of the JavaScript Jabber show. Uh, just f- put your email address in the p- form that pops up and you'll get them in your inbox over a couple of weeks. And I'm super excited to have that up. Um, hopefully it helps some people. If you are if you haven't been listening for long or you're just kind of getting started or if you want to kind of see what was popular with folks who were listening to the show, you can go do that. Uh, my other pick is Amazon Prime. Um, it's just a super convenient way to get stuff shipped here. 
and I really like it. Finally, the last pick, this is the one I was trying to remember. Um, my wife bought me a Wii U, and it's way fun. Uh, it has Mario Kart 8 on it, which is also way fun. Um, she got me a few other games. I haven't played them yet, so I'll probably pick them later. But yeah, Wii U is really awesome. Uh, Rob, what are your picks? First pick is going to be a program called Sketch, which is a digital design package. It's actually gotten a lot of traction recently. It's especially good for doing web design and app design. It's probably one of the biggest things to start encroaching on Illustrator's territory in the last year or so. And uh, a lot of UI, UX guys really like using it, and uh, it's a cool tool. Second pick is in a similar vein, and it's an app called Zeppelin. And Zeppelin is this online tool that's all about designer and developer collaboration. Uh, so how do you build these amazing application experiences? How do you get developers and designers to work together? And Zeppelin is a pretty cool service software option for that. And then my third pick is going to be Mozilla's Servo. I heard you guys say you had a show related to Rust recently. So if you haven't checked out Servo, it's really cool. It's basically a parallel, it's a, it's, it's a parallel browser engine that's written in Rust. And it also has an experimental uh, web renderer um, that renders everything in hardware on the graphics card. And I saw some amazing demos of uh, performance from this thing. There was a Rust meetup, I think, where they demoed some of it. And they were showing, basically saying literally every website on the net, they could render upwards of at least several hundred frames a second uh, with this render. And there was literally nothing that really bogged it down that was happening today. Looking at Performance of uh, graphics performance near or better than native apps. So really exciting stuff uh, written in Rust and uh, just continues to help me stay excited about web technology and, and where that's going in the future. So definitely check that out. All right. And if people want to go check out Aurelia or find out more about what you're working on, what do they do? Aurelia.io is uh, where our project's at. You can also uh, stay up to date on uh, news related to the project at blog.durandal.io. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Eisenberg Effect. Those are probably the best places. All right. Well, thank you for coming, Rob. We'll go ahead and wrap up the show, and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with regular panelists and our guests. 